Welcome back to the One Two Kentucky Blue Podcast. I am your host, Coach John Spurlock. Today, we're going to do something a little bit different. Typically, we have a guest on or multiple guests on, and we have a specific topic that we want to hit on. Uh, and usually, it's in that guest, uh, it's in their wheelhouse, and we have talking points and we have an agenda set up, and we're not doing that at all today. So, Yesterday, I reached out to Coach Stephen Wood, and he's going to be our guest, and we're just going to spitball. We're going to talk about uh, any and everything that comes to our mind. Um, obviously, everybody's dealing with the pandemic and the stay-at-home orders, so we'll touch on that. Uh, we'll probably touch uh, quite a bit on strength and conditioning, and specifically his teams <laughs> and my teams, uh, and then we'll just see where the conversation leads us. But Wood, glad you're on, on, the, on uh, the podcast again, buddy. I'm excited. Thanks for having me. You know, we haven't gotten to uh, just kind of spitball and just chat around since uh, this whole pandemic started. So I'm excited to do it. We do it. We did it quite frequently, actually, before this started. Yeah. So that's the one thing is that even though you're over in Shively weight room a ton, I'm at Joe Craft weight room all the time. We would typically meet up at some point uh, in the middle of the day when you're about to work out or I was about to work out in another weight room and we would talk about whatever we needed to touch on it could have been something that happened that morning something you needed to fill me in on or vice versa or we would just chat about you know what's going on with each other's lives and we haven't really had that time to sit down and do that so that's what we'll do today but uh first thing i want to touch on and we mentioned it right before we started this podcast our two situations are different much different um i'm at home with my wife and two young boys uh they keep me busy they keep me on my toes um a lot of the times i'm breaking up fights between the two brothers um <laughs> we're watching a lot of disney plus movies um but that's that's the general rundown of what my day looks like you're at your uh loft that you bought it been about a year now is that or two almost years? almost a year so i got the keys june 1st last year so almost a year so you have done a lot with that place there. I've been over there. I've only been over there once, but I was super impressed with the building and the layout that you had and kind of your vision for how that space is going to look in the future. But you're there by yourself. Um, you have a platform, a barbell and plates that you're able to work out in your loft whenever you want. But, you know, kind of talk with me what life looks like. What's a typical day for Stephen Wood right now? It's very different than what than what we're used to. So first off, I'm not waking up before the sun most of the time anymore. So I've kind of gotten into a regular sleeping schedule. I uh, my first alarm goes off at seven. I usually snooze once or twice. So I'm up. I'm usually up by like seven fifteen or so. Um, I try to go to bed at the same time. I try to go to bed at ten o'clock every night. Um, but from there, like my, my early day routine is pretty consistent. So I usually wake up at seven, I make a full breakfast, drink coffee and kind of just like wake up. One thing that I've noticed is like before when we were working at, when we were working and going in all the time, we'd be in by 5am. I'd wake up about 4.30, kind of rush and eat something quick and go. And I've definitely slowed my mornings down, which has been nice. Um, I definitely feel a lot more organized and 
less chaotic throughout the day. I usually spend the first couple hours <clears throat> getting some work done, um, just like computer stuff. I've been uh, working on some uh, obviously different scenarios of programming with my athletes. Um, I've got athletes in different scenarios with different amounts of equipment. So I'm writing those programs, working on a couple of uh, long-term projects. And then usually at about 11, I work out. I try to train here, um, <clears throat> train for a couple hours. And then from there, it's that's where things open up. Usually around like one o'clock, um, my free time kind of opens up. So that's when I've been just trying to stay busy and stay active and like not kind of get in a rut. And it hasn't been perfect. You know, there's been days where I've watched, you know, seven episodes of Lost <laughs> in a row. And, there, you know, there's been days that, that, that that's happened. But, you know, I'm really trying to <clears throat> get outside every day. So one thing that I do is I, like, I love to go disc golfing and regular golfing. So that's something that you can kind of do on your own. Um, you know, you're out kind of secluded, you know, socially in the woods kind of walking around, throwing a disc around the woods. Um, so I've been trying to do that. I've been doing that like four times a week. Um, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts. Uh, I've definitely added more podcasts on. Um, <clears throat> are, they more, some... are they more strength and conditioning related or just general pop culture or anything else? A little bit of both. So I, lo I love to listen to a lot of uh, comedic podcasts. I love like stand-up comedy. And so that's kind of where like I got into podcasts was that. So I listen to a lot of them, but also what was cool, I, I guess, with this situation is a lot of people are just doing the, the demos and the virtual online things and the, the roundtable discussion. So I've, I've gotten in on quite a few of those and, and been able to listen and watch and, and network, which is good. Um, but yeah. <laughs> so one thing I've noticed, and it's part of the first part of what you started talking about was sleep. I am getting so much more sleep and you know this about me. I enjoy tracking sleep. I enjoy figuring out how to improve the quality of your sleep. Uh, so I've started a new program and it's a new sleep tracking um, program that's offered through UK wellness. So university of Kentucky wellness program is they, and I, I'm going to look up the app right now. I believe the app that they have us on is called, it's sleep rate, sleep rate, one word. So mm -hmm. it's a, uh, every night before I go to bed, I answer a questionnaire, uh, simple questions of how stressful would you rate your day between one and 10? Um, did you eat two hours before your bedtime? Uh, there's a little spot where you're able to make some notes and then it tracks your sleep. And then when you wake up, it, you have, you rate your perceived uh, quality of sleep. If you woke up at any point during the night, how long you think you were awake? And what I've been finding out is, you know, typically if we were in our normal schedule, getting to the weight room at uh, 5 a.m., you know, if I were to get seven hours of sleep, that would be incredible. But typically I would wake up, just like you said, I would wake up uh, and make some coffee and hit the door running. And it's like, bam, bam, bam from here on out. Now that things are so much more relaxed, I, I still wake up every morning uh, right before 6 a.m. Uh, I wake up, get dressed, make my coffee, uh, relax. And then that's just, I find that I'm able to start my day and have a clearer mind because everything is not so rushed. But I guess my original question to you was, um, do you track your sleep 
are you worried about your hours? Are you monitoring it? Or is it just kind of uh, go to sleep around 10, wake up whenever I want? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not tracking it. I've used like those tracking apps in the past on your phone. Um, I know we've talked about sleep a lot, Spurlock. Um, you used, used to have that uh, sensor that went under your mattress, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. I, that was Isn't called, man, I forget what that was called. That worked for a while and then it just crapped out. Really? Because I, I used to have one where I think you put like your phone on the edge of the bed and so it like feels for your movement. Yep. I liked that, but um, I also didn't like it because I move a lot in my sleep. And so like, it wouldn't give me, cause I I'll wake up, like I'll like kind of roll over and I'll wake up for maybe like five seconds. Like, and I'll remember it and I'll fall right back to sleep and go like right into it. So I, I mean, I don't know how sleep cycles, a lot of it, the deep stuff, but I feel like I get pretty good sleep despite that. And it was giving me weird scores. So, yeah. and I use the wireless charger now, so I can't lay my phone on my bed, but mm. I used to do that right now. I'm just kind of just trying to pay attention to it and just see like how I feel. One thing I've noticed is like how much, so I've been sleeping a lot more, um, being at home, I've been cooking a lot more. Um, and I've been like snacking a lot more. So I've been definitely, um, eating a lot more and being less active, but, my like I've been getting so much more sleep like almost nine hours a night that it's really almost counteracted it and I've only put on just like probably like three pounds since I left or since we we started this you know I, I kind of track being a weightlifter making sure I'm in the right zone um for my weight at all times but I've been like kind of eating whatever I want um like when I'm hungry just like I made ice cream sandwiches the other day and, and you I've made ice cream sandwiches I did I and mean, wow. I've been eating a lot of bread too obviously because I've been baking a lot of bread um, so like I haven't, the sleep is like counteracted the, my eating. Cause like, I haven't been as disciplined, but my weights roughly stayed the same because I've been getting so much sleep. So, yeah. well, let's talk about act activity real quick. So uh, my initial thought as it came to fruition, that this was going to be our reality for an extended period of time. So when this first shook down in middle of March and it was like our original, uh, return date to work was April 15th. I'm like, all right, this is going to be three to four weeks. Um, you know, it will be what it will be. It will give us some time to stay at home, be, be with my family more than I've ever been. And when I realized that this is probably going to re be our reality for quite a long period of time, I'm like, if I don't leave the situation in the best shape of my life, I got to reevaluate like <laughs> how I spent my days. And the more I think about it though, is my workout consistency is off the charge, chart. So every morning, wake up, drink my coffee. I go work out before I start my day and have our, typically our first meeting is around 9 a.m. Um, but what I found out is, yeah, I'm getting that workout in every day, but my overall activity level from a step count is so, so low. So if I was on the floor coaching multiple hours, hours a day, I'm walking around, I'm pacing, I'm demoing things, but I don't have that at all, especially, I mean, this week in Kentucky, it's going to rain Monday through at least Friday and where I'm not able to get outside and play with the boys. So it's just that overall lack of, um, I would say normal activity, not so much a, a, mm -hmm. a workout, but just walking around campus or sometimes I would bike between Shively and Nutter, which is, you know, would be about, I don't know, a mile bike, but just getting outside and having that, that normal daily activity is what I'm lacking. So I think my I overall thought that I would leave this in the best shape of my life 
isn't just going to happen because I'm working out every day. It's, I'm going to have to make some uh, bigger lifestyle changes. Oh yeah. I was, I was in the same boat. I, I mean, I remember the first week I was like, I'm going to do workout two a day, two times a day and I'm going to do all this stuff. And you know, I was still obviously training, but yeah, that le- activity level is, is nowhere near where it was. I've been just trying to find little ways to like incorporate just like movement throughout the day. So I've been trying to go on a walk after I like eat every day, like my lunch and dinner, like breakfast, I'll eat and then kind of do work in the morning, but I've been trying to walk. Um, I got like, like an exercise bike that I've been trying to ride like every now and then when this first started, I made a rule that, uh, I made a rule if I was watching like Netflix or Hulu, every time I got to a new episode, I had to do uh 30 air squats. I like that. It was like good. That. It didn't last. Unfortunately, I didn't have the discipline, but you know, I was just trying to find ways to like trick myself. And, you know, I actually, in my email to my athletes this week, I, I sent in some information about that actually, because I noticed it, you've noticed it. And I'm sure they have too. I mean, you know, they're on campus. They, they do so much walking from classroom to classroom to practice back to, you know, uh, training table, not all of my vehicles. So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if some of these athletes are walking, you know, two, three, four miles a day. And then you just totally cut that out and say, hey, stay at home, you know, don't, don't be around people. And so I sent uh, in my workouts, just like a kind of little bunch of tips on how to just like stay active where it's like, Hey, just like, pick up an active chore. It's like, Hey, I'll do the, I'll mow the grass this week or something. Or, Hey, I'll go take the trash out. It's just finding those little, little ways to just add in movements or like to break up, like being stagnant or like being sedentary. That's what, that's what I'm trying to do. And it's not going perfect, but it's, it's, it's kind of working. Yeah. And you know, one thing, and this, this is something Monica Fowler, our um, head dietitian for UK athletics brought up to me when I would say we're about maybe a we were about a month into this gig where on my iPhone, there is a health app that tracks my steps. So every time I got my phone in my pocket and I walk up the stairs or walk somewhere, it's tracking my steps. So, uh, it would be a much easier if everybody had an Apple watch, but that's one thing she suggested to, we were talking to the volleyball team at the time is, Hey, go back to the beginning of February, see where your steps were from your Apple watch or, Uh, your iPhone and then see where it is now at the beginning of April and see how different that is. And then give yourself a goal and try to hit that goal daily. And one thing she said she did, and I like getting tidbits from everybody. Like uh, you just said about the, every time a new episode, you got to do 30 squats. Uh, Monica has, Monica has the goal for herself that every day she wants to hit 15,000 steps. So by the time uh, dinner rolls around either before or after dinner, if she's not there, she goes out for a walk and tries to meet that goal. Um, I think it was Alicia Carrillo, who's one of our former strength coaches at Kentucky. uh, When this thing started, she put on her Instagram story that every time she opened the refrigerator, it was like (laughs) three options. You could either do like five burpees, 10 push-ups, or I I don't know, 25 jumping jacks. So you didn't always have to do the same thing each time. Uh, you opened up the fridge, but you had to do something, but that might be something I, I start doing is new episode. We got to do something, open up the fridge. You got to do this. Mm-hmm. I like that idea. Make Jordan do it with you. Cause I, I've found that like a lot of those like tips that people have, they're hard when you're doing them by yourself. Yeah. Like they're hard. It's like, Hey, go for a, go for a 10 minute walk after your meal. It's like, be cool if I could go with like somebody, you know, like yeah. a neighbor or a friend and, 
you know, my fa- none of my family's here. Um, they're all back in Minnesota, but it's interesting. One thing that I've really enjoyed about this kind of pandemic or this period is I think at the beginning of the semester, we, in our staff meeting, I, I brought up one of my personal goals to Spurlock was to just be a more like involved member of my family. Mm-hmm. Um, they all live in Minnesota and, you know, we talk, but I could be a better, you know, son and, and brother to my sisters. So I, um, we've been setting up once a week, at least we do like a zoom chat, um, on Sundays and we just, you know, it's, we get to see each other's face. We get to talk. Um, I get to talk to my sisters more because of it. And it's, it's something I've really come to like actually enjoy and look forward to, um, and that happened because of the situation and, you know, we're, it didn't necessarily change my situation with them. I only see them a couple times a year, but it kind of just brought in the thought of, Hey, you know, we gotta be reaching out to people and staying connected, which, which has been really something I've enjoyed out of this situation. I would say that's one of the lessons I've learned as well through this whole thing is, you know, I would call my parents every Sunday and I would talk to my sister whenever, you know, we had something to talk about, but, um, it, we we try to do it weekly, but it's a, a family Zoom call, whether it's with my mom and dad and my sister and my nieces or Jordan's side of the family. But it's just instead of it just being me talking to my mom or dad or me just talking to my sister, just everybody kind of being on the same screen, being able to talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's the year 2020. Why I didn't figure out we could do that before uh, this pandemic, I don't know, but that's been something that's been awesome to stay connected that way with the people you care about. Um, and then even going further beyond that, like outside of family, when it comes to work related things, if, you know, if I was over at Joe Kraft and you're at Shively and D's traveling with baseball, it'd be so hard for us to stay connected as a staff, especially during the spring. But if we can hop on a zoom call and, you know, just chat about whatever, or to, you know, we would probably have a trying to set up a meeting to go over something, some pressing issue with our program. Uh, I mean, that's this, I think this is going to be huge for us in terms of being able to be efficient and communicate to each other. Cause we got a big staff, you know, when we're rocking and rolling, there's 10 to 11 of us. So being able to um, just stay connected, via zoom during these these uh not only these times but when things are tough for us and everybody's kind of going in their own direction during the hustle and bustle of the semester i think that's a big lesson for us yeah it, it will be and it'll be good i mean even if it's short and sweet you know just getting to get on the same screen as everyone and see each other i mean that's that's one of the funnest parts is just getting, getting to see each other's faces and and see what everyone's up to and you know, well, once we get back to, you know, hopefully regular, regular training and whatnot, we're going to be in all those places, you know, and we're only going to grow and get bigger and get, you know, get more resources and all that. So we just got to, it's definitely something that we should utilize to stay involved with us. And I mean, even with other staffs too, we've had several calls with different staffs and, and you know, it's, you know, these people and, and you, 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 you see them once a year at the conferences or connect, you know, several times a year, but you know, even if it's just sitting on, on a screen with them for an hour and just talking about whatever it is, you know, we, we did one with Cincinnati last, I think it was last week or the week before. And, yep. you know, just get a chance to have younger coaches introduce themselves, ask questions and, 
and it's been enjoyable. You know, yep. it's been a, very enjoyable. I think that's another great example. And one thing Ohio State, and I think Ohio State did this before you came on staff, but Ohio State used to come down like every other year, bring their interns. They would see what we do at Kentucky, you know, watch a couple training sessions. Their younger strength coaches could uh, pick our brain. But, I mean, if we can just hop on a Zoom call with Ohio State or Tennessee or anybody in the country, we can – we don't have to worry about getting from A to B. We just got a, you know, a lot an hour where we can sit down and talk with a, another staff. It's a great point. Oh, it's great. We, um, I mean, we did, we did a Zoom call. My first Zoom call was before the pandemic. Uh, we, did, we did a couple of Zoom calls with some coaches um, in and talking about velocity-based training. I remember um, that. Zach yep. Rockford set that up um, from SIUE, and we had some, you know, schools from California, schools from all over the country and coaches that just wanted to share. And, you know, it was, it was really cool. I remember, you know, putting together some information and, and bringing together my thoughts to the group and, and it was very enlightening and it really wasn't, you know, try to get all those people in a room at a conference, so much money and time and, and it can be uncomfortable. And, you know, we got all these people on a, on a screen and we just talked and shared and it, it, it was so much fun and you know it's something that I hope once this is over that staffs continue to utilize that and stay communi in communication because I mean that was one of the more difficult that was one of the last things I learned in the field of strength and conditioning was the networking and how to just you know how to be a professional in this field you can be great at the x's and o's but in order to network and, and, and to survive in this field you have to have the skills and the people skills and you know, I was not something I was very good at younger in my career and something I've had to work on. And, and that can be a great way to create networks and, and, and develop and grow and learn and meet people in this field. So I hope, yeah. I hope it gets, I hope it continues. And, uh, more and more I think about it, you talk about that call that Zach had set up uh, before Zoom became what it is now. But, you know, one thing that we started in April 2019 was the Kentucky Strength Conditioning Coaches Clinic. And we were going to do that this past April 2020, but obviously all that got canceled. And, you know, as we think more and more how we want that to grow, we want to be able to showcase our performance staff here at Kentucky. Um, sometimes it's hard if you pick a weekend and it doesn't work with somebody that wants to attend. But if we're able to hold that virtually and possibly do multiple ones um as we go throughout the year i don't know what people will prefer but i do know that if you're able to record yourself doing a presentation no matter if it's you know powerpoint or more hands-on people can sign up for our clinic you know pay the fee whatever it is and have the video and watch it whenever that that's going to be a heck of a lot more cost effective than you know, if they're coming from Northern Indiana, driving all, driving all the way to Lexington, having to get a hotel and figuring out all those logistics. And, yeah. And you miss, miss half the lecture. And yeah, no, I think, yeah, we, I remember when we started talking about that, you know, where's, where direction that this, the clinic could go. I got really excited because we could do some really cool things. And, you know, I really think that the coaches on our staff, you know, do, do things awesome and, and in a unique way as well. And, you know, we can showcase the things that we've done and what's worked with us and, and hopefully, you know, share that in the strength and conditioning community because, you know, we got to, we definitely got to stick together and, and, and share and, and help each other learn as much as possible. So looking for, you know, new creative ways to do that. This whole situation definitely got us thinking about how we can do that and, 
you know, if, if we can, you know, we can even showcase our, our younger coaches and, and give them a chance to do something that's a little less intense as speaking at a national or major conference, but, you know, kind of a stepping stone to their professional development, if, if that's something that's important to them. Yeah. So let's switch gears a little bit. Let's kind of maybe dive into uh, your teams. So the teams you are in charge of are our rifle team and then our entire track and field program as well. And so track and field, you're doing everything from cross country to our uh, throwers. Um, and let's start with track and field. Talk with me about as you started that position. Um, and obviously you had a different head track coach at the time. Uh, than you do now, but what were some of the struggles that you went through? Maybe some lessons you could share with everybody listening um, and then lead into some of the pros in terms of, you know, you got one team, it's a big team, it's a diverse team, a lot of different moving parts, but what are some of the pros to be in the uh, strength coach for our Kentucky track and field group? Yeah, that's good. So, I mean, when I first came in, um, you know, it was my second experience at like the high elite division one level. I did an internship, but you know, I came from a division three school as we've talked about in the past. So, you know, it was just the, the high pace and the high intensity of, you know, everything that we do and, and the, you know, just everyone in, in athletics. So that was my first exposure was working with um, coach Florial and his staff here. Um, you know, I came in the year prior, they, the women's team was second in the country. So there was, definitely um an expectation and, and, a, and a lot of you know standards that were expected of that group and our men's team was just developing and continuing to grow so you know it was very fast paced it was very you know highly intensive training um and so it was my first experience at seeing that kind of play out for an athlete or for a group of athletes for a long time um and it was great you know one thing that i do like about having the whole team is that um, it definitely, you feel more, you know, as a part of one of the staff members, you know, I think for you Spurlock, you know, getting to try, like for you with maybe women's basketball or a smaller team, it may feel a little bit easier, but with a big team like that, you can kind of, you know, become, you know, not as involved in the group and, and being with the whole track and field team. I work with all the coaches, you know, we're all in meetings together. You know, we do, um, we meet with the, the athletes together, you know, we, it shows us all as like one unified group and, and it makes us and it, it helps us work together more and it helps us look more uniform and more, you know, together towards the athletes. And I think that an athlete would definitely wants to follow the direction of somebody who seems like they know what, where they're going and, and who they're working with. And so that was definitely a pro getting to work with um, all of the track and field team. Now the cons are, is that um, as as you get to work with them and, you know, we actually had a coaching change. And so when in the situation, the earlier situation with the former staff, the way that they wanted to schedule their teams was, was great. It, it worked out well where I, I was not relying on a ton of assistance. I could really work all of my athletes and get my eyes and my, and see and work with all of my athletes pretty much all the time. Um, which was, which was great. Now we got a new staff and, and they want to make some adjustments to the overall training plan, which, you know, obviously you need to do and make sense and, and, and everything's got to flow together, but, um, trying to juggle that and make, and then take that and make it fit into a schedule where, you know, I don't feel like, Hey, I'm, oh, I'm going to miss that session every week or, Hey, you know, somebody's going to 
one of the, the graduate assistants is going to have to help me with this group or, you know, I can't do the orientation group for this, for these athletes. Um, so it's just been a struggle just trying to stay on top and make sure that, you know, there's a lot of moving parts to it and they kind of all are looking for help from me and our department, you know, at a certain time. And if it all comes down at once, we can't help, we can't do our job as effectively for the athletes. So, you know, that's what I preach to my coaches. It's like, Hey, you know, let's, let's have a plan A and a possible plan B if things change, you know, just so it's like, Hey, if this happens, then I know we can do this, but I can still, you know, find space for this group of athletes, you know, that, that may be on a regular schedule. So um, it's been a challenge for sure, but it, it's been definitely something I'm up to. I'm very type A in the way I think. So kind of like putting that all the pieces of the puzzle together is like a challenge for me and it's worked well. So that's kind of the pros and cons of working with the entire team. You also get, you know, you learn a lot. The training is, it's similar in the way and like the general concept. So, you know, we've mentioned it. I don't necessarily do a ton of conditioning with, with the groups and the, our jumpers in the fall, I'm definitely involved in our um, conditioning and our recovery, but you know, a lot of that comes from the coaches. That's really their job is to get them conditioned around that specific event, whether it's over a hundred meters or 200 meters or over hurdles, so that's their job. So when we break it up like that, um, <clears throat> I really just kind of see that strength area. So, you know, all of our athletes need to get more powerful and stronger. So we all do similar things. We all utilize Olympic lifts and Olympic lifting um, derivatives and variations. Um, and we're always looking to produce power and strength. And just how we do it is a little different with each group. So um, it gives me a chance to really like you know, see exactly what works. It's very objective in that you have numbers um, with the sport of track and field. It's, hey, you either ran fast or you didn't. There's not a lot of external factors. There's less than a team sport. So, you know, I really enjoyed those aspects of it as well. One of my favorite thing about working with our track team, and when I was, uh, when I had the group, I was in charge of, at one point I was in charge of cross country, cross country as well, but I had cross country, our sprinters, our hurdlers, and our jumpers. Um, and I was with the staff that came on before Coach Flo. Um, but it was the international competition. And also knowing that once they uh, a track and field athlete at Kentucky was done with their four years, there was still the possibility that they could um, compete for their country and go to world championships or the Olympics. That was uh, – the super fun thing for me to be a part of and being with those athletes that stuck around campus, even after their four years were done, if they were training for the Olympics and then seeing some of them compete at the highest level was uh, crazy cool. And I know that's a cool experience for you as well, because you were training Kenny Harrison when she broke the world record, correct? For Yeah, that was, I mean, that was fantastic. One. So one, in, in going off of that, you know, one thing with our track and program, track and field program at U University of Kentucky is very elite. And so we get a very highly talented athlete, which, you know, is, is one of the cooler things that I've got to experience. And, you know, being able to work with somebody that was training to at the level and, and then broke the world record, it, you know, it was, it was unbelievable to be a part of that and to watch an athlete, you know, put in all that effort. And, and it, it's, it's interesting because, you know, with that staff, our perfect, we have, I call them post-collegiate athletes, you know, some of them have professional contracts, some of them are running for their country, some of them are just trying to, you know, take one last jump at a dream, you know, and so 
with Floreal, his professionals, they trained, um, his volunteer coaches trained at the same time that our student athletes did in the weight room. So they were in the same facility. So they got a chance to see the difference or to see what it takes to do that. Mm-hmm. And I, it was a training or it was a tool that I used quite a bit because it's very easy to talk the talk and to say, you know, this is what I want to do. And, you know, I'm going to, you know, everyone comes in to college. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run fast and I'm going to go to the Olympics or, you know, to take it with any sport. You know, I want to go professional. You know, I want to do this and this and this. But when it comes to do what it takes every day, it's just not everyone has it. There's a lot of kids that come in with talent, but not everyone has that, that drive. And, and to be around some of those people, like Kenny Harrison was a great example of it. And it was – you know, somebody that was really, really talented, but also very coachable. Somebody that wanted to get better. Somebody that wanted help to get better. Somebody that was a technician and, and wanted to learn these things and, and become more efficient in the weight room. And, and that's really the biggest difference that I've seen between making it, you know, in college and then, you know, not just making it, but thriving in the post-collegiate, you know, training era or, you know, in the training environment is that, you know, when our professionals train now, it's, I'm not necessarily a babysitter with them. You know, I don't have to be, which is good because, you know, I'm not, Hey, you know, do five of your leg swings in the warm up, not four, you know, I'm not, I don't have to micromanage that type of stuff mm-hmm. because they bring it themselves. You know, it's the maturity, that, maturity. Uh, it's maturity. And it's just, you know, drive too. you know, it's, yeah. it's, I, I, I've never been an elite athlete. I was, you know, I love sports, you know, I've, not talent, not necessarily genetically talented, but love to play sports. And if I would have known about weightlifting when I was uh, like 12 years old, maybe I yeah. could have been good. If I knew I was going to be this short. Um, yeah. Hey, let's just say you got good levers. You got good levers. <laughs> there's, a, there's always a way to spin it, right? You got good levers. That's yeah. funny. One thing um, I wanted to touch on, um, and you're getting at it, and I'm going to take it to another level in terms of I feel like I grew the most as a coach when two things were happening. One of those things was when I did not have to be a babysitter and I did not have to coach drive or passion with a certain group of athletes. And when I'm talking about the athletes, the exact same ones that you were talking about, the ones that are competing because um, they want to uh, win at the highest level and be elite. So that might have been uh, track athletes uh, for me and you. Uh, for D, it would have been his professional baseball players that come back and train with him. When I was able to coach a group of athletes like that, um, and I'll give you the example of you know where I think I grew a ton of as a coach is before the London Olympics. Uh, the sprint coach at the time was also the sprint coach for the Venezuelan. Uh, track team as well and so mm-hmm. a handful of venezuelans came to lexington to train with him and then they lifted with me out of the uh group of five four of them didn't speak english <laughs> so i am trying to coach teach uh, improve the strength and power of this group of athletes where they didn't speak english and i do not speak spanish so being able wow. to communicate with a group and have them buy into it is something I grew so much as a coach during that time. And then the I other part of it, and this is something that you partake in as well, is you do some personal training with uh, older clients, N- nobody of recruitable age or anything. But I know there are some, is it a doctor that you do personal training with? 
Yep. Uh, he's a, he's an emergency room doctor. He's one of my main clients. Yeah. So you, um, you coach, does he do weightlifting? Yeah, he loves, he does weightlifting. You know, we do barbell work. Um, you know, we don't do it heavy. We just do it for movement and, yep. and just stay movement. And he loves to compete. So we just do it to like, give him a goal. You know, I think that's one thing. I think, you know, the difference between working out and training, Yeah. you know, even wh whether you're an athlete or general population, like, training like having a goal in your workout to train for something is going to help you stay motivated so much so um yeah we use weightlifting as, as, tra as training so my point with that is you're training you're you're coaching somebody of the general population not a division one sec athlete we're typically the athletes that we get uh extremely athletic great body control um and, and the same was it was the same for D and I when we had our weightlifting CrossFit club that we ran out of Shively. We were getting general population people, and a lot of them were coming from athletics. Um, uh, and the great thing I've mentioned it before in the past on this podcast is Katie Poole, one of our athletic trainers, was one of the people that worked out with us. Uh, love Katie Poole. She's not the greatest athlete out there, but we taught them how to do <laughs> cleans and snatches and double unders and being able to coach a group. Uh, of general pop people that have little to no athletic ability is, you know, helped us grow so much as strength coaches on top of having the, those group of athletes that are at the, and I'm doing air quotes, professional level that are competing for something um, much more than, uh, than, you know, just being a weekend warrior. They're trying to compete to stand on the podium at the Olympics. I think those two things, are huge when it came to my development and I would say yours as well. Cause I've seen you grow as a coach since 2015. And you know, when you started doing more, uh, getting more serious about Olympic weightlifting, when you started coaching those pros, when you started having uh, a general pop, um, personal training client, just that, the, that overall exposure and you being able to have so many tools in your toolbox to, uh, correct a squad or fix X, Y, and Z. I, th I think it's pivotal in uh, the development of a strength coach. Oh yeah. And, and you know, that's, that's just it. It's it really is. And you, you get that exposure. That's the word that you use that I really liked. You get that exposure with all those different types of people because, you know, when you break down a, a group of, you know, think track and field, you got sprinters, you know, we have a lot of Caribbean sprinters who, um, who come and there's, not necessarily a language barrier, but like a cultural barrier and communication barrier and just having those exposures and that experience with so many different groups has, has made me definitely a better coach. I, I, I'll speak from experience when I first got here, I was doing some personal training and primarily doing a lot of like new client orientations with um, like general population people at a, an outside gym where you would, you know, teach them, you know, cleans and front squats and, 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 and movements that we use with our athletes. And it was, it, you'll see some wild things when you work with the general population, but it just gives you that arsenal to be like, all right, I'll have seen that before. I know what's going on there. Hey, like, hey, you get a chance to just, it's trial and error. I remember, you know, one, one thing that we always tell our, our athletes, or our our young coaching assistants is that, Hey, you can't just have one coaching cue to fix uh, an issue. You need to have five or six lined up. Well, that was where I practiced, you know, with those general population people, uh, you know, I wasn't necessarily doing anything that was going to harm them, but like, Hey, what's the best cue for this person? Or what, Hey, how can I say this a different way? Hey, did that, did that sound right? And then you would 
sounded out when you say it and you're like, I could have worded that a little differently. I'm going to try that with my athletes now next time or try that with this general population person. But, you know, the more experience you can get with, you know, like good and poor athletes or, you know, people that it comes naturally to and people that it doesn't come naturally to. Um, you know, I think I, I've been listening to some weightlifting roundtables recently and, you know, they talk about how they've been a conversation where, you know, really, really, really good weightlifter might not always make the best coach because, you know, they take for granted certain things that were simple for them or like, Hey, like, you know, getting into that full proper, maybe hip extension is something they take for granted or, you know, keeping that, that low back down and not arching some they take for granted, but to, to coach an athlete through that at a high speed and an elite level is very difficult. So um, maybe not being the best athlete was good for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that kind of brings up a topic that um, I need to schedule another podcast. And it was um, a concept that you brought up, whereas all of our full-time strength coaches on our Olympic sports strength staff, Myself, D, you, and BMAC came from universities and colleges that are on the smaller scale. So um, that is, I believe that's definitely unique to our staff. It wasn't very purposeful. I didn't hire everybody because they came from a small school. But when you look at our strengths and you see what good stewards we are of everything we've been given, I think that all comes back to our our uh, background and our foundation being laid at division three smaller universities and colleges and having that mindset moving forward as we're obviously at a powerhouse sec school now so i got that written down and hopefully we can get that episode recorded soon yeah, um, be really good one. yep would anything else you want to touch on before we hop off here we've been going for about 40 minutes no i don't think so um no, I don't think so. Yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been interesting. I miss this. I miss the sauna. A lot of the times, me and Spurlock would, we would have, we would go like we have a sauna over in Nutter, and we would use the sauna after training, as a recovery tool, and we would just kind of chat, and that's where it was. And I've actually been looking at trying to build a sauna. Uh, you know what? That's something I would like to. If you do some research on it. And I'll say this before I forget. I didn't miss a sauna until you just mentioned it. I'm like, oh man, I miss a sauna now. <laughs> Uh, I felt oh, I would always feel so good after we would get done with a hard training session, hop in the sauna for 20 minutes, get out, take a shower. It's just like I just felt so much better. Uh, oh, but I, I want to hear if you do some research, I want to know if it's more efficient, efficient just to buy it or could you save some cost with building your own? Well, we should um, definitely build it. I, I did the research yesterday, so it depends okay. on how big you want. You can get like one of those, like the rock, like the things that like heat up the rocks. Yeah. You can get a big one for like 500 bucks. So you get like a big one that could do like the size of nutters yeah. sauna. And then you just got to buy like the cedar tongue and groove stuff and build a frame and, and box it out. I didn't look at insul insulating it, but I mean, one of those small two per two seater ones is like, uh, like 1400 bucks at Costco. I think you get it, you buy the you buy the actual electric like heater for it um, and build it. You could probably do it for a thousand bucks and you could make a big one. So. Man, those the cedar tongue and groove, and this is kind of get into another topic. That was the exterior of the tiny house that I built. That mm -hmm. that stuff is expensive. So really? yeah, um, 
maybe that will be another episode where we dive a little bit more into into details and depth of the ins and outs of building your own uh, sauna. But this is what I was going to say. One thing I need to look into is that unit that heats up the rocks. What is the electrical needs for something like that? You just can't plug that thing into a three-pronged outlet. Yeah, it's a good point. I didn't think of that. They do have like you can get one at Home Depot. It's like a smaller one. Uh-huh. Like it's it costs like 130 bucks, but it was, I guess, to like build like a smaller one, like a two seater one. That one that said it uses a regular electrical outlet. Gotcha. But um, yeah, it would have to have something like a dry, like a dryer outlet or something. I don't know. Yeah, and I wonder. I'm pretty sure the one we have at Nutter is just hardwired into the. Uh, the electrical work of that building i assume i really have no idea yeah it's it's straight into there we wouldn't need one that big because the one we have at nutter is about i don't know three by three feet or maybe not that big two by two i don't know what do you think uh it's probably like 18 it's 18 by 18 but then it's probably you know two you know 30 32 inches tall i was way off i said three by three feet Uh, I'm guessing 18. I don't know. I've, I, def, I, I don't have very good depth perception uh, or size. You can't really like size things out, but well, no, I, obviously our listeners are going to be on the seat of their pants, wanting to know the dimensions of the uh, sauna um, heating <laughs> element. So when we are actually allowed back on campus, we'll make sure to fill everybody in on that answer. Yeah, we'll, we'll get an official measurement. But yeah, I'm excited. Uh, I might do that right after we get off here is try to set up the, uh, conversation between you, me, D, and BMAC about just coming from smaller Division three schools. But yeah, we'll continue this conversation once uh, we get that set up. Wood, it's been nice talking to you, buddy. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Always, um, always a good time. This is great. If you guys have any questions for Coach Wood, myself, or anybody on staff, please don't hesitate to email us at ukstrength at uky.edu. Thanks, and go Cats.